The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to edit and I can't. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Now you welcome on to the football show. So second half is underway at Villa Park. Aston Villa won. Liverpool won. 47 minutes on the clock. Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independence here in studio. Hello. Hi Joe. How are things? I was reading your piece over the weekend. Which one? On Duffer. Oh Damien Duff. Yeah. 25 years. I think it's actually uh, oh I think it's tomorrow is the uh, the actual to the day anniversary. I don't know how, how it makes you feel. Do you remember at the Young. time? Young. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember at the time sort of Duff no. breaking onto the scene because no. it was it was a weird one. Like there's a sort of pattern I would have for doing sort of some of these archive pieces that you go into the archives to sort of find like what was the headline the following day. You know what did it, like, an Irish kid makes his debut in a Premier League game. He's manned a match. It's nothing. That's how that's how good we had it then. That like Blackburn Leicester the last day of the season just didn't even sort of register in terms of the. Um, you know, the, the the discourse because I don't know, there was other things going on and, and we had loads of sort of high class Premier League players at the time. So, yeah, it's nice, I'm sure, but it didn't get any headlines or any love at all. Um, whereas now, even on the last day of the season this year, if for some reason, mm. you know, an Irish sort of underage international gets thrown in as mad at a match, we're, we're discussing it, you know, we're, we're writing comment pieces on the whole thing. Like Troy Parrott's debut at 17 in a game against Colchester. I mean, I went over to it. You know, just to have someone there. Um, but yeah, like it's 25 years this week since Damien Duff's... It was actually very striking as well how many young Irish lads there were at Blackburn at the time. But that was the focus of your piece, chatting to them. Like Every time I spoke to one, they dropped two different names of other people that were there. There was names thrown at me that I was even... I think I'd have a reasonable handle on, say, you know, players and names that went away. But there was one or two I sort of had to look up. It was like, yeah. right. There was like, a, it must have been a dozen there at some stage, you know. They were all strongly of the opinion that it was glaringly obvious from minute one mm. that Duffer was the one. Yeah, like, I mean, Thomas Morgan would have been referenced twice. And it's... It, it, this is a thing now, like sometimes it's your own age, your own memories. I certainly remember Brian Kerr's under-20 team getting to the semi-finals in Malaysia, finishing third in the world. It's been a massive thing in 1997. It was just a brilliant sort of summer uh, football novelty. And it was the start of the Kerr years, really, in terms of underage football matches breaking into the mainstream, you know, in terms of actually being, uh, you know, televised and, and, and big events and so on. Uh, and Thomas Morgan would have been I think he was the captain certainly the star midfielder of that side and I, I spoke to I spoke to Chris uh, Chris Malone who was at Blackburn with Duff with uh, Dave Worrell as well who went on to have a quite respectable career in the sort of lower leagues and in Scotland and to be fair they also said that they thought Morgan would make it too you know they were convinced that he would and in one case they said if Morgan came along today with his attributes um, very tactical player then he would but yeah like Duff they said from from sort of day one on the training ground or in one case it was a Milk Cup match that I think Worrell spoke about it that Duff was a year younger but at that time say Blackburn would come and play in the Milk Cup and they might bring some of their Dublin kids or Southern kids up to play with them just to drop them into the competition and they were all like wow you know this guy and um, yeah just completely completely driven you know very focused I mean that is the thing as well like you know to, to get to that level like 
I mean, maybe there's some omerta, but it wasn't as if they had sort of mad tales of sort of Duff being a messer or like you'd sometimes hear tales of lads and digs or various sort of getting up the high jinks. But I think Duff at, at that stage, um, unless maybe there was closer mates who'll have, who'll have different stories. But you know, the one time I really got in trouble was asking the landlady to put Sky Sports in the digs because mm-hmm. they're all living in like 12 to a house or something and some... some uh, some scenario and I think Duff made the mistake of yeah, innocently asking any chance you could get the sky in which they felt was big time but big time yeah he slept a lot that was Duffer's thing wasn't it just like naps yeah that, like, he used to say that later but like you often like you, you think sometimes that's almost sort of even with Duff now to some degree with the media stuff it's sort of it's sort of he's cast himself as a certain type of character if you know what I mean like it's like oh, I yeah. just like to sleep or you know I do this or I do that um, I'm sure you know. I'm sure he had his moments too. Yeah. But um, yeah, like it's it's it is it is sort of striking. I mean, Robbie Keane be, later this summer be 25 years since his debut for Wolves, scoring twice, which was a big. Game. I remember that being a big fuss at the time. Um, and yeah, it's sort of we we sort of kill for those type of stories now. It's true. I, well, we actually won't have any 17 year olds born here because they won't be going away. Uh, if if we do, it'll be in um, in Italy or sort of some other country. Yeah. Like a 17 year old born here won't be doing anything in the, the Premier League in the foreseeable. Such a different landscape as well. In that, well, I didn't have Sky Sports. I feel like Sky Sports late 90s Duffer's time was still an exotic ish thing not everyone at Sky Sports it was quite a thing when your neighbour had the big satellite I dish. feel like I uh, do you remember I, I remember the last day of the 94-95 season where yeah. Manchester United lost the league and Blackburn won it Yeah, um, we had it in the house by then oh, did but you? we didn't have it maybe all of that season I okay, remember well, there was a neighbour who had it and you'd go up there to I, watch the games yeah. you know? I didn't and a lot of my mates didn't uh, but I do remember as Villa in for chance and it's a great tackle it's a really great tackle and so uh, it comes to nothing. Still one all, 52 minutes in the clock. But I do remember whatever, for whatever reason I was in a pub, it was some evening uh, game and Duffer was playing and it was the first time I'd seen him. And I knew he was at that stage, so the word must have been out about Duffer. And uh, I, I can still remember it, funny enough. There was a crossfield ball mm. from one touchline to the other. Duffer was on the right-hand side and he trapped it with a Cruyff turn on his right foot. Yeah. So it was on his, it was on his right-hand side and defender was coming towards him and he let it just you know he just caught it between turf and foot Cruyff turn and moved off to his left and defender was left and I do remember thinking ah wow that Mm. was class I can tell a million things from that touch alone yeah and uh, yeah that that memory stands because it wasn't uh, you know wasn't something maybe Irish players were doing necessarily in the Premier League no I I think Duffin is full flight not the best Irish player, but the most exciting Irish player. I don't think we've ever had anyone that's genuinely exciting. Even the Im- amazing ability of say, someone like Brady, but that was like uh, Liam Brady does in as like the technical ability that people would admire. And I'm sure people who watched him at the time could say they were thrilled and off his seat by things he did. But there was something about Duff in full flight that was so off the cuff and, and brilliant, you know. And I do remember in Malaysia, and that, I'm guessing when you saw him was probably that following season, 97, 98, like when he played, I think, I think after he met his debut in that game at the end of the season, he basically never left the first team again. Yeah. That was the thing. It was one of those where you see it now, lads get an appearance in the last game of the season and they go back to cold storage. It's a little, it's a little G up. Yeah, we think you're good, but you head off. Duff, 
never you know never never come back um to sort of digs or I think mm. you know to, to being in that sort of second hand it was interesting I had a like a message on someone on social media in response to the piece and they were saying like, you know thanks for like writing a piece about sort of a younger duff because I think they have maybe as a young son or a younger person in their life who only remember duff as a slightly uh, more defensive left winger I suppose as he was in in, in his later years yeah. you know when he sort of used his experience a bit more and, and he wouldn't have been sort of dazzling even in his last sort of days with Ireland even up to sort of Euro 2012 and stuff you know I think there was that little sweet spot there where you sort of forget how good he was mm. you know for a long and I mean right up to World Cup 2002 when he was sensational sensational then yeah Mo Salah's warming up Liverpool have 35 minutes plus injury time to get a second goal here at Villa Park. Villa have been well up for this game, by the way, Dan. There's been no sense of Stevie G winking a nod to anybody. So they took an early lead, as I mentioned. Liverpool equalised and since then no breakthrough. Salah, you would expect, will come on. This is where a certain degree of pressure comes on Liverpool very heavily. Yeah, and like you know, the, the Robertson was sort of rested and, as you mentioned, Salah and one or two other things. I mean, like they have this sort of quadruple thing going on. Um, I wonder, is there still a little bit one eye on the cup at the weekend? I mean, you have to trust your squad, right? Like, you don't have a big squad and then, like, play your best 11 in every game. There's an element of that. And, you know, with a view to what's coming down the tracks, you know, and, and going all the way up to what made a 28th, you probably just have to do this sometimes. Like, I, I'm at the point at the weekend, like, Real Madrid have, the, have their league won. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that is the that is the big one, you know, and they have a nice run up to this. So Liverpool just have to with their schedule. We were wondering earlier, are Liverpool a bit, a bit tired? Fabinho off with a muscle injury. You think of Villarreal first leg away, there was a real degree of, yeah, oh God, I can, we've got to I can pull up it. our socks here and then Spurs. They really just ran out of ideas and intensity last 15, 20 minutes of that game. And now here they are labouring a touch against Aston Villa. Like, again, in isolation, all very forgivable sins but it's a bit of a trend now I mean even the extent to which Klopp is rotating uh, would suggest he's getting some fairly hard information from the S&C yeah, that, you'd assume that they're, yeah. like they're they're not exactly it's not a hunch they're probably going off data you know strict data of whatever you know whatever grades they use yeah. to, to measure sort of runs or whatever it might be the Salah never misses a game it's, usually it's only like, but it's only it's, it's probably natural to some degree like the, the intensity of which they operate like you know, it would be superhuman if they didn't have, yeah. the, you know, this sort of uh, these ruts. And as I said, that's something to be very conscious of. Like they're a better side than than Madrid, but like, you know, a demanding league run in and a cup final and stuff. It just could be something that sort of, yeah. you know, inconveniences them a small bit, and they have to sort of ward off that. Because I think I mentioned like they played Spurs in that Champions League final a couple of years back, and if you remember, it was very flat. I think, but I think it was a little break in between. Three week break. There was a big break. So, but I think also there's a, there's a thing where, you know, you, you you operate at a certain pitch and then you you come down off it and it can be hard to get going again. So it's a real challenge. Like this is where the the point of the season where S and C and and whatever the the various people come to the fore. I think didn't Man City get great credit for that last season? That coming off the back of. COVID and the, the very short off season the Man City how they used their players in the first half of the season was quite intelligent and then they completely exploded after Christmas because other teams had gone to the well too often you know I think Liverpool are probably amongst them yeah. so yeah Well we'll see how it plays out so they've 57 minutes in the clock they've 33 plus injury time to get a second here against Aston Villa at Villa Park Erling Haaland to Man City so 60 million euro 
release clause triggered, 350 grand per week uh, sterling before bonuses. He will join in July. Same month he turns 22. 88 appearances for Dortmund, 85 goals in his two and a half seasons there, which is just outrageous. This can't really go wrong. No, I don't think it can. (laughs) Very, very scary for the league. It is. And the fact that, you know, uh, they're obviously paying... You know he's been well paid, but he's he's gone into a degree of a st- structure. Like he had the sort of terms of his contract that led him to go. Um, so it's not as if it's sort of a, a massive, like brutal show of financial muscle or something like that. You know they've they've obviously fended off everyone yeah. to get them, but um, it shows the degree of the attraction that they present as well too. And what's um, your in the attraction? Because I I mean as ridiculous a thing as it is to say, but for three hundred and fifty grand a week with a a fee of only 60 million euro given his talent and how sought after he is. He could have had higher wages elsewhere. There was no doubt. Do you think it's Guardiola? I think it could be that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the fact that it's a a project, a team that very distinctly needs someone like him as well. Like, and I mean, you could say that anywhere. I mean, no one does... You know, but you, let's say you go to Liverpool and you have like Salah and you have a certain yeah. way of doing things, and you know, is Mbappe going to Real Madrid and stuff? Like, it's just City are are the are they the best team in the world? Well, I mean, they're not in the Champions League final, so but you, you still feel like they're certainly in. The, you know, they're they're very much up there yeah. in terms of that. And um, I mean, they tried to get Harry Kane last year. It's it's well discussed that the the way they operate. The, the the missing link for them is probably this this central striker of the highest quality. He has some sort of link with the club. His dad played there and stuff like that, you know. So it's he, he can. It's not like sort of you know there's some sort of half half arse sort of link with the club there. Um, and he, like he's younger too. Like I think is there an element you know that again people of a certain age don't consider City to be on the same level as sort of Man U and Liverpool or Madrid and I can really get that but if you're 22 is it a bit different like they've been you know they were winning Premier Leagues in what 2013 yeah. 2012 sorry um, so that's what what age was he then like you know uh, 12 12 so you know the, the whole tradition angle and stuff you know he's possibly not as seduced by it as sort of other people you might expect to be by going to maybe a more traditional heavyweight so I think it's all those elements together you know Everything and probably listen I mean just agent rela- I know his you know, agent has sort of passed away and all but there's like agent relationships and stuff I mean this the, this was laid down so I'm sure there's other stuff we're not aware of that have set the wheels in the motion in the back when you don't know what actually goes on yeah. but um, I, there's, there, you can see the argument for it certainly Everything about the types of goals he scored for Dortmund. A lot of tap-ins, a lot of goals in the penalty area, just seemingly uh, effortless movement and just being in the right place suggests that he's going to score a gazillion goals where Grealish, Sterling, insert tricky winger here, Mares gets the end line, squares it, and it's just going to be on his left foot and he's going to score from six yards. And I would say at least half of his goals will be unimpressive and yet there's going to be a gazillion of them yeah and this is the I mean this is exactly what they need someone who can take advantage of all their brilliant play and their brilliant pressure and you, you stick one in the box and he gets on the end yeah. as opposed to God geez, City really on top here not making the breakthrough yeah he's going to make a lot of breakthroughs so I mean as brilliant as Liverpool have been and the you know the, the you know continuation of, of Klopp, 
Klopp, the Klopp era and his, his signature is such a filler for them and, and they look to be in such amazing shape. You kind of think this puts City as like firm favourites to win the league next you year. You would think so. I mean, there's always danger like personality clashes and other things that can happen and I don't know, like Hallam's been on the go like from a very young age. So, but I, in the short term, it's very, it's hard it's hard to argue with your, with your this, point. This is you know a, 100, I mean? like, a 100 point season next year. Yeah, like it's it's, it's uh, more likely than not. Because I think I heard you say earlier, like it's not as if he has a show reel of like extraordinary goals. No. So, you know, like he's not sort of, you know, it's not like that explosiveness of watching Mbappe. It's more that a lot of the goals he scored, you think, oh, maybe someone could have prevented that. But yeah. you realise, no, he's just a bit stronger or a bit cuter or a bit sort of whatever in a situation and exactly the type of situation where City just, at times they just need that little bit of variety in their attack and play that he can provide it even if it's a slightly more again occasionally a little bit more direct but one that will work yeah very well for them and unlike any slight hesitation is he a flat track bully Bundesliga versus Premier League no his Champions League record is frightening goal every 64 minutes nobody is under 100 minutes per goal and he's on 64. Yeah, no, Champions League hat-trick on his debut and then of any player in history under 21 for goals scored under 21 in Champions League, he's ahead of everyone. He's uh, two more than Mbappe. He's on 23. Like Messi at 17 before the age of 21. This guy's on 23. Yeah, he's not a flat-track bully. So he's just uh, a bully. Yeah, just like, yeah, exactly. Bullies uh, the older kids. On hills, whatever you, were, whatever you <laughs> yeah. want to put him. Like, you know, all the sort of undulating sort of circumstances. I reckon he'll be fine. He'll be fine on a Tuesday in wherever it is. Stoke has gone now, so wherever, wherever else you want to go on a Tuesday. Yeah. But I also think in big games he'll be able to have a say as yeah. well. I mean, as I said, there's always a thing, you know, at the highest level of, of the game, you know, personality issues can always be in and, and finding, you know, what players he has the best rapport with. And if it's a case that, you know, he is a better sort of rapport with I don't know players weren't first choice in sort of Pep's mind like that's you know, there's all these little elements to yeah. factor into it if, if for some reason you know he, he didn't have a great sort of uh, understanding with De Bruyne or Bernardo Silva you just can't see it like, you just can't see it you're, you're sort of see, reaching around yeah. trying to find some hard angle that players doesn't of, exist of, of that stature not clicking and they're just going to love him coming in I yeah. think I think it's yeah. I think that the, the danger at those clubs I, I think as well at those clubs like that have been they've been on the treadmill at the top for so long. I think someone of his profile coming in probably gives everyone a little bit of a of a boost. Go Liverpool, you know, big goal Liverpool. Mane with a header on sixty five minutes. Aston Villa one, Liverpool two. It's not going to be checked by VAR. It's a perfect goal. And uh, move down the left hand side. Ball was clipped in. Nice pace on it. Chest height. Mane stooped, flicked it into the far corner. And uh, suddenly Liverpool in pole position. They breathe easy once again to see what happens tomorrow at Molyneux. So just waiting on a replay as uh, Liverpool celebrating Klopp looks on. There was no imminent danger. Villa were in possession and then attempted clearance was blocked down and Liverpool pounced fairly quickly down the left-hand side. And that was how it all started, actually. It was Nelson Villa throw-in and then the Mane finishes quality. Yeah, it's, it's clinical, but it's not sort of a... No, it's a, it's a quick counter, but it's not sort of uh, devastating. It no. just feels like... Uh, it's a bit, it was a bit easy. Villa, yeah, slightly architects of their own downfall. Stevie G gave the three whistles from the sideline and uh, tugged his ear. <laughs> they knew what to do. Yeah. Mm. Liverpool 2, Aston Villa 1. We are talking Lionel Messi in just a moment. The always brilliant uh, Marcelo Mora Iraja is going to join us. 
Uh, Messi was down to his last 600 million, so the Saudi cash what was too do? much to say no to. Marcel is going to join us next. Results aren't going your way. It's easy to kind of like get on each other. A difference in our style, but it wasn't a difference as to who we are or what our identity as a team Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTV Sports app now. Welcome back. So Aston Villa 1, Liverpool 2 is where we are after 69 minutes at Villa Park. Dan McDonnell alongside me here in studio. Very happy to say Marcelo Mora Irahu joins us on the line. Lionel Messi touched down in Jeddah yesterday. The Saudi tourism... Authority announced Messi as their new official brand ambassador. And Messi was shaking hands. His Instagram put up some photos of him on a boat and it said, discovering the Red Sea, hashtag visit Saudi. And he'll reportedly attend various upcoming events. Look, Marcelo, this wasn't an easy decision for Lionel. He, yes, granted has his uh, 40 million salary at PSG, but he is down to his last 600 million. So to be fair to him, he can't be, uh, you know, he can't be squeamish here. Well, um, I took uh, I took a little bit of sleuthing on because I was quite fascinated by it. I guess on the one hand, there's the issues uh, that Saudi Arabia presents, um, which you know uh, some people may have ethical or moral objections to doing business with the Saudis. I don't think that's a massive. Uh, issue in the world of football, of Argentinian footballers. We know Maradona spent many years there. We know uh, friendlies and various games are organised there. And I think there's a lot of um, looking t- towards the World Cup. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of the packages that are being offered in Argentina to people who might be travelling involve staying in Saudi as well. So it could be a ride uh, of the back of the World Cup for a neighbouring country to pick up on some of that kind of tourism or, or or visitor traffic. But what I found quite fascinating on Lionel Messi's Instagram, which I, I, it's not a place I'm very familiar with <laughs> generally, but is the way his various merchandising and image deals are portrayed. The little slogan that says this content, you know, in partnership, paid partnership with, yeah. And so the Saudi stuff is quite prominent at the moment because obviously he's there now and he's floating in the sea and it's beautiful and it's very peaceful and he's with his mate Paredes. But if you scroll through this, there's paid partnership with uh, Paris Saint-Germain or some other brands. And then there's some content that's in paid partnership with Leo Messi. So Leo Messi part and and then and it promotes Leo Messi like getting a goat award or and I I thought this was quite fascinating. So I've established since uh, you've alerted me to kind of look out for for what's going on that there's something called the Leo Messi Corporation, which looks after all his image deals and basically the non-football, the non-directly football related. Um, deals and so on, and and one of Leo Messi Corporation's, uh, or rather one of Leo Messi's clients for the sponsored content, is the Leo Messi Corporation. I just think it's extraordinary. It's, it feels very, uh, very novel way of of promoting and and sponsoring oneself. I mean, am I being disingenuous? No, no, no. And I'm sure he's his own close to billion dollar company and things are arranged so that uh, the minimum of tax, whilst everything I'm sure is very legal, 
is paid and every loophole is taken advantage of. And in a sense, if no great problem with that that's that's just been you know shrewd i suppose and 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 business like in the modern world but on saudi arabia like there is a reality here uh, this is a terrible regime and it's regarded as a terrible regime regardless of which metric you care to uh, look at when it comes to human rights or which organization is uh, detailing the rankings and you know what strikes me is even like a 5 minute google on his flight out to saudi arabia would have taken him, say, to Amnesty International's page. And they just detail it all in very clear terms. They talk about this authoritarian regime as one of the most brutal across uh, various rankings, heavy prison terms for dissenting views, including tweets, uh, travel bans following release from prison, extensive use of the death penalty, which is on the increase again after a lull, migrant workers vulnerable to abuse under the country's sponsorship system, grossly unfair trials. Numerous examples on their website, for instance, Mohammed Al-Otabi, founding member of the Union for Human Rights, which I have to say sounds like a a good union, I would say, Marcella, if we're going for good or bad. 17 years in jail. They just threw on an extra three in the last few months uh, just for whatever reason they um, needed. Uh, People routinely sentenced to punishment by torture following these unfair trials and so on. And what's more, when it emerged that Messi was first being courted by the Saudis last year, Uh, Grant Liberty, and they advocate on behalf of many Saudi prisoners of conscience in jails. They wrote a letter to Lionel Messi, which was carried in various publications. And what they said to Messi was, you're an inspiration to millions and what you say and do really matters. To put it bluntly, you've enormous power, but with that power comes great responsibility. The Saudi regime wants to use you to launder its reputation. Prisoners of conscience in Saudi Arabia have been tortured, sexually assaulted, held in prolonged solitary confinement, often for months at a time, often on an industrial scale. If you say yes to visit Saudi, you in effect are saying yes to all the human rights abuses uh, that take place today in modern Saudi Arabia. If you say no, you'll send an equally powerful message. The world must stand up to those who trample on others. Lionel Messi... You're a hero to millions. Please use that status for good. Stand up for human rights. Say no to the butchers of Jamal Khashoggi and the brutalizers of peaceful campaigners in Saudi Arabia. That was just part of their letter. So, like, like what a disappointment here. If this was life-changing for Lionel Messi, I kind of wouldn't hold it against him because in, in so many countries and jurisdictions aren't perfect. This is not life-changing. He doesn't make no difference to his day-to-day life. And here he is, hashtag visit Saudi and not a word about the problems with this country are their obvious uh, laundering through sports people. Is this not, like, I, I kind of saw this news today and I just thought, ugh, like, what a cosseted view of the world. I think I agree with you. Uh, um, you, you know, I, I, don't, I can't uh, play devil's advocate with, uh, to anything you've said. I completely agree. Um, the, the only thing I can think of uh, in, in broader terms than, than Lionel Messi is the relationship of the Saudis with football, with the industry of football, with the Western football and mm. with uh, big business generally. And so it, it, although I, I, I know nothing about his finances or his day-to-day life, so I, I tend to agree with you, a priori it wouldn't make any difference to his actual fortune or whatever but maybe i don't know uh, I, I have no idea what the deal is mm. and why he decided to go and you know take his monday off and whether it's going to be every monday that you know it's a rest day he's going to go and float in the red sea or what kind of content he needs to promote to be this ambassador for saudi tourism i suspect there might be 
other parts involved in, as I say, tagging on the back of the World Cup or having, uh, you know, a f- future football business deals I- in Saudi. I've got no idea. Yeah. But in, in, in broader terms, I do think we tend to ask of our sporting heroes and celebrities a social conscience and a social responsibility um so whereas i i love the letter from liberty and i agree with it i also think on one level what why why does Lionel messi have to take on that role if our governments and our big clubs and our industry and our betting shops haven't done it why does it fall on the individual players with a big profile to do the kind of exemplary social role. I mean, I love it when they do mm-hmm. and I support them and I think it's inspirational, but it's quite a logical leap to therefore condemn those who don't. Um, I was talking to someone earlier who, who, who has done sponsorship deals and, and advertising deals with Leo Messi Corporation. And she said they don't really ask very much. You know, it's quite it's a kind of standard form. They say, what's the product? How much is it? Is there a standard contract? And so on. This was a few years ago. So we were speculating whether Leo Messi would actually know about any of this. I mean, of course, a five-minute Google search would, but you're a journalist, you're curious, you're interested, and you're concerned with the with a bigger picture. If if Messi is as we think he might be a very focused and driven footballer with no interests outside football, he might not want to spend five minutes Googling. He might never have got that letter. And he might not care. You know, I I I think it's awful if he doesn't. And like you, I find it disappointing. But I think it's quite a big ask to say, no, you, Lionel Messi, because you are the GOAT. Mm. And I and I know you are because I saw it on your Instagram, <laughs> a content by you. Uh, you know, I w- send this other message that I want out to the world at large and to society. And I think it's just tricky ground to have that expectation. Sure. I mean, I think when footballers do have social responsibility, social conscience, and take on uh, courses that matter to them. It's amazing and we applaud it mm. and it's wonderful. And when they take on political courses that we disagree with, well, you know, again, we pass judgment, but some enter politics, some commit their lives to bettering society and so on. I think Messi's very much a celebrity at, at peak value at the moment and possibly looking at that value decreasing. And purely from a commercial and financial point of view, they're clearly like racking it in. It's World Cup year, possibly his last World Cup. He's the biggest star that's going to, you know, grace those pitches. And, uh, you know, if I had a way of reaching him and saying, listen, while you're there, can you like shine a light on these issues or could you meet some people or could you give, uh, you know, a little bit of help to some organization that's going good i would but obviously i i don't have that access and i don't know who has and i suspect in the pinnacle of elite sport that he's in that's not a world that is concerned with human rights issues Mm. never has been Mm. and much as i'd like to see football take on those issues i just think we're a long way off 
especially in a World Cup year, which is essentially FIFA's biggest business. You know, it's this is a money game. Yeah, I think that's interesting, Marcella, because I was going to ask you as someone who would have followed his career like extremely closely because like yeah you have these players like say Marcus Rashford or Juan Mata or, or people who've engaged themselves at various times in various causes but at any stage in Messi's evolution um can you recall him using his voice in any way you know for for any particular cause or topic or something at home or anything or has it very much been on this message the whole way through that it has been the corporation uh, controlling it you know have we ever seen behind the veil in terms of his opinions on, on anything really I don't I've never heard his voice or his opinions on anything um, at all like that and I and in fact I've seen efforts made by his entourage to distance him from political you know uh, disputes in Argentina at least even he, he his family are Newell's old voice supporters in in Rosario, which is one of the longest, biggest clubs, you know, one of the longest traditions of, of youth development. And so over 20 years was under an awful kind of hold of a very corrupt man and lo- loads of um, the big names of world football c- come from Rosario, Marcelo Bielsa notwithstanding. And the Bielsa family were super engaged and getting rid of this guy Lopez and uh, you know, other players were, but but Messi, and I interviewed him around that time, just shrugged. He was like a child, you know, it was like to asking a 10-year-old, what do you think about, uh, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine or something? He just stared at me like, well, evil happens. I mean, he, he was against Lopez, but didn't take action. Uh, and Lopez was overthrown. And I think... Uh, his family are locally quite involved in the kind of new era of the club. But I do know um, that an enormous amount of charity work and charity support does come out of the Leo Messi Corporation or Foundation. And, you know, breakfasts are delivered daily in Africa through a church. And, um, you know, the, so so the money moves. Uh, I don't know how much, but I, but I know that, you know, that the... the the political church that is essentially ultimately tied to the to Pope Francis does an enormous amount of, of community work and support and they have a good link with Messi and so on. But he hasn't used his voice. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned Marcus Rashford because I do think he's a quite a unique example of someone who hasn't just used his voice but actually campaigned to implement social change which is very different from just donating some money or setting up a little school or a foundation or something. You know, he has uh, gone all out on creating awareness and conscious in society as a whole to to truly transform behaviours. I've not seen that done on that scale by a footballer, but we have plenty of examples of footballers who stop playing and enter politics. You know, we have lots in, in South America. Chilavert, the Paraguayan goalkeeper, was, you know, then turned out to be quite a nasty right wing. You know, well, I say nasty right wing. Some some people are nice and right wing, but, you know, quite, <laughs> quite I don't know, you know, for, for, for old hippie progressives like me, it was like a real shock that, yeah. that Chilavert was, you know, that, that a football man... I love football. How could they be? Or even Carlos Tevez has actually 
associated with the right party, the the the, the party on the on the right of centre in Argentina, and has taken a lot of flag for that. And I think we, there is a kind of expectation which is slightly snobby and 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 I'm quite uncomfortable with actually society which is say you from your poor humble background are now tasked with resolving those terrible societal issues that no one that we all witnessed and did nothing about but because you made it you must now go back and and mend that mess that that wasn't yours in the first place so when they do have ideologies and ideas and, and, and opinions that we don't like, we, um, well, we are judgmental. And I think Messi has no opinion. I don't think he knows what's, you know, he, I, I don't believe that he's somehow endorsing the Saudi regime or saying, yes, I agree with all this. I honestly think he has a machinery that said, this is what you're doing. This, you know, someone probably manages his Instagram account. And that, but that is a complete guess. I have no actual evidence for that. And I hope we can get some of the big players um, to shed light on the issues of that area, not, not from the perspective of what we would like to see said mm. from the West, but from what they might come across or... Uh, you know, learn in, in, in their own visits there because it, it's the case that sometimes, you know, when football events happen, uh, the press and the people and the attention and the players that go there can shed light on certain things. And, and I have not lost hope yet with the Middle East, but I don't feel comfortable saying Messi on his own should, uh, you know, just take on board this massive, massive uh, topic, you know, we, uh, what, what difference would it make really if he said, no, I'm not going to do this advert? Uh, for starters, I don't think any, anybody would cover it. I mean, you know, would we be talking about it? Messi was offered a Saudi tourism clip, but he turned it down. Potentially, That's no, it. no, potentially, potentially we wouldn't, but it's, it's what, damage it does by him giving it the old thumbs up and hashtag visit Saudi. Just one uh, quick question. You, you've sort of answered it, in, 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 Marcella, but if we anticipate for a moment, say one journalist of uh, a group at the next Messi press conference raises their hand and asks him a very pointed question where they lay out what sports washing is, the ills of Saudi Arabia, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're paying him all this money, and therefore is his conscience clear? What would your sense be? Because I don't hear him speak in his native tongue. I don't have a great sense of, of you know, his, his personality because he's so hard to read even with his body language. What's your sense of how he'd reply to a question like that? Would he be in over his head even at this age? I wonder. Uh, I wonder a lot. He he isn't uh, a comfortable speaker. Yeah. You know, Don Carlin famously wrote about 10 or 15 years ago that he's he wrote... I interviewed Messi twice, and if I was offered it again, I would turn it down because he's <laughs> such a bad speaker. Yeah, I wouldn't turn it down if I was offered an interview with him. But I do think it's interesting to watch. You know, the 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 the, the one on ones he does, the, he's treated with kid gloves in a very noticeable way, and you kind of wonder if people are doing it because they're 
so starstruck or or if there's something that about him that makes you kind of there is a slightly you know cognitively strange thing going on with him and i do think he's super bright but i don't think he's um engaged with with bigger issues i think somebody ought to ask him that if he get if he does give a press conference and i think we should take note of his reply. It would he would might possibly be genuinely very uncomfortable and not know what to say, um, or he might say, "Oh, I just play football," you know, in yeah. the game. Yeah, who knows? But he might surprise us all, and he might, you know, his 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 entourage is is not as toxic as some of the big superstars that we've. Uh, you know, well, Maradona is the one I followed more, more closely, who was always surrounded by dreadful people, always had something to say, appeared to be politically committed to, uh, you know, give, sticking two fingers up to the establishment, but actually continuously did deals with some of the dodgiest people on earth all the time. Mm. And again, you know, I, is that forgivable or awful or what? But ultimately you think, well, that this is a kid who came from nothing, literally nothing, and is desperately sick and and ill and crying for help in the most kind of pathological way throughout his whole life on live TV. And we want him to somehow like fix the Middle East or, you know, uh, make friends with the states. What Maradona did that was interesting was turn everything on its head. So he would have said, well, what about the human rights abuses of the United States of America or something like that? I don't expect Messi to ever do something like that, but okay. I would be fascinated to see if he could. Well, Marcella, you're the one to go along to the press conference and ask. I think that's what we've agreed here. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Marcella Mora Irahu there with us on the line. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Don't miss Spurs Arsenal Thursday night live on Sky Sports. It is 2-1 Liverpool into added time. Quick ad break back with Dan McDonald. Stephen Bradley staying at Shamrock Rovers the news this week. Back. So Liverpool about 40 seconds away from keeping the Premier League race alive. They're 2-1 up at Aston Villa. Stephen Bradley, Daniel, this time last week you had in glowing terms painted to me, convinced me rather, why joining Lincoln was the no-brainer option. And lo and behold... I don't think I used the term no-brainer. Stephen Bradley obviously was listening that evening. <laughs> thought, if this is how McDonald sees it, I need to uh, revisit the angles here. So no-brainer. were you surprised when he announced he was no, staying? I was surprised, I think. Yeah, I think... I thought the path was being cleared for him to go, just like, you know, the official approach. And yeah. generally that happens when you know the person is, is is ready to sort of reciprocate that interest. Um, is this the first instance ever of like a genuine official approach? We <laughs> haven't tapped him up. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Like I'm trying to think. I, I feel like there's been one or two in recent times where there's been official approaches and someone hasn't left. Um, but I mean, uh, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not thinking in this specific case, but of course, like, you know, people re- put the feeders out and know if someone's... Uh, you know, g- going to be up for it, you know, and they probably already know if they are. And the official approach is generally box ticking as opposed to a significant thing. Um, but when it's sort of like the fact that when Bradley turned it down, yeah. like the statement was able to mention Lincoln, that he'd spoken to Lincoln, it wasn't dismissed as speculation or anything. It went that far down the road yeah. that it was it was legit. Um, what do you think his rationale was? <clears throat> yeah, I think, I mean, he's, he spoke about it on Friday. I was after the, after the game with Finn Harps, so I was there and 
I don't know if he's like 100% I suppose fully outlined everything but in in long story short he's he's effectively said he didn't feel it was the right time to leave Rovers at the moment I think you could read between the lines and say that while the Lincoln job was a great job and attractive um, and Damien Delaney here on on the show on Saturday was very much the case of I thought he would have been mad to go there because the ceiling for what could be achieved at Lincoln was possibly still quite limited in the context of League One Um, and I think you also have to be conscious as well I suppose of like you know uprooting family and everything it's a tough decision to make at any time and I suppose if you don't feel 100% right about where you're going and you're in a good job where you are where they have a chance to be seated in the Champions League this summer um, it's a good chance to do well in Europe this year they're a good side at the moment and that could open could open slightly bigger doors and it's a calculated risk some people wouldn't have taken the risk they would have taken the chance now and I could see the attraction for him going because you have a full pre-season at a good understanding club but you're not going to a place with a reputation for sort of going through managers like you know and you're leaving a secure steady job where you're not going to be sacked you know for a number of years you know um, to, to, to go to a volatile place Lincoln didn't seem volatile that way um, but it, it's encouraging for Rovers you know there's a good yeah. buzz around it and the European ca- campaign this summer there'll be a lot of eyes I think if they do well and Bradley's name is out there now too which is no bad thing because he's sort of under the radar mm. if people talk about say promising managers and, and Irish sport and figures um, and you know people are aware of what he's doing he says long term he wants to manage Ireland that's his ambition he was asked directly he was asked I mean, so you don't say no in mm. response to that but he says he has a timeline in his head for when he wants to move on right. but this wasn't in that timeline I guess Stephen Kenny has made that a very realistic proposition now is the thing yeah more realistic than it was before but I suppose he had that European run and I think that's probably the one thing Bradley has to do here Dan thanks very much thank you Joe appreciate it Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent full time at Villa Park 2-1 win Liverpool over to Man City at Molyneux tomorrow evening our football show coverage brought to you by Sky Don't Miss Spurs Arsenal on Thursday Night Live only on Sky Sports OTBAM tomorrow morning half past seven and Tom Dunn is on the way next